any adults want to go with them, they can go too. It's, uh, it's your choice. They have crafts, I don't. And so. So this week I had uh, three young men uh, talk to me about daddy issues and uh, totally un unsolicited. And I wasn't going to do a Father's Day message. We've been going through the book of Acts for almost two years, and I was going to try and finish the book of Acts today. Um, but a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were uh, at a wedding in Sacramento, and uh, a young man that we've been kind of semi-mentoring for a couple of years was there. And uh, I have a prayer I pray every day, and, and it's, kind of, it's kind of a simple prayer. But I simply say, Lord, um, I only want to do what I see you doing. I only want to say what I hear you saying. That's, that's what Jesus said he lived his life when he's before the Pharisees, and they kind of got on him for some of the things he was saying. He said, look, I'm only doing what I see my father do. I'm only saying what I see my father say. So I like to listen to the Lord as I walk through the day, and if I hear him say something, I'm just going gonna to say it, and I'll let the Lord deal with it because they're, they're his words. And so um, we were at this wedding, and we were... Um, going to the reception, and, and this young man came up, and, and I said, so just off the top of my I just feel like the Lord asked him, how are the daddy issues? So that's how I began our conversation, how are the daddy issues? And he looked at me, and he said, why would you ask me that? And I said, well, because the Lord wanted me to ask you that. And he says, I'm going to have to talk to you about that later. Um, after the wedding, he, it was the wedding in Sacramento. He was going up to Reading to go to Bethel for a week just to be before the Lord. Uh, but the next day was a picnic, and I couldn't go to the picnic because my mom died that night. And so I had to leave Sacramento, drive home, didn't go to the picnic. But he sat next to a lady he didn't know at all. A lady's very prophetic. And as, as they were sitting eating hot dogs together, she said, so how are your daddy issues? And so two days in a row, he, he gets that question. He says, why would you ask me that? And um, so she says, I don't know. The Lord just told me to ask you. So they went to Bethel, and he spent a week at Bethel just in the prayer room there and going to the services. And Friday night, he was at the service there. And at the end of the service, the speaker said, okay, if you're, your guest here is going to seem kind of weird, but we do this a lot. I just want you to turn to somebody and ask the Lord for a word for them. And if you've never done it before, don't feel uncomfortable. And if you don't hear anything, don't, don't worry about it. So he turned, and there was another lady who he'd never met before. And she says, I just feel like the Lord's saying that he wants to deal with your daddy issues. So that was his third time in a week. And, um, and so uh, he got back from, from Reading, and uh, we kind of have a deal with him. Um, Whenever he wants to come over for dinner, he can just show up. He, he doesn't have to call. He can just, and any of you all can do that, but you need to call. Um, <laughs> so he showed up Monday night, and um, we're sitting in the living room, and, and um, after we've eaten dinner, he says, so I really want to know, why did you ask me, how are my daddy issues? And I said, Wesley, because the Lord told me to ask you, how are your daddy issues? And he told me the whole journey through the week and what the Lord had been saying to him. And, and after he had, um, the, the night that, that he had, the lady had talked to him at Bethel, the next day he was in the prayer room and a, and a mutual friend came up and said, uh, here's a pass to go up to the mountains above Lake Shasta. 
why don't you go up and, and go because I think God wants to talk to you like a daddy. So um, he went up there and, and uh, he's with the Lord. And he says, he began to say, okay, Father, why am I here? And he says, the Lord stopped him and said, wait, why are you calling me Father? He says, there was a name when you were 13 years old. You told me you would call me that name for the rest of your life. So why are you calling me Father? Why aren't you calling me Daddy? And he suddenly realized that he had a real difficult time seeing God as Daddy. Well, that was Monday. Tuesday night I was here, and we come, and we just wait to pray for people. And so I'm sitting here and waiting, and a young man walks to the back door, and he comes in, and he goes, uh, he goes, I'm here because I want you to mentor me. And I said, well, that's not that easy. Um, let's, let's talk about this. Um, why, what, where, and as we started talking, break down, he goes, well, because I have father issues, and I need somebody to help me get over them. I said, okay, so that's twice, two days in a row. Thursday, um, I was at a board meeting of, of a board that, that I'm on, and um, the, the, the man who, who runs the ministry, he actually, my son led him to the Lord. They were best friends in high school, 16 years old. My son led him to the Lord. He came home in his junior year. He came from school one day, and half of the furniture in the house was gone, and his dad was gone. And uh, not only that, the bank account was empty. And so he and his mom were left at home, half the furniture gone, all the money gone. And it turns out his father had another family. Um, he had brothers and sisters his age that nobody knew about. His dad was a truck driver, so he had two families in Southern California. And so he left the one, he had one in Texas. He left the one to go to the other. And so um, after our board meeting on Thursday, uh, the young man came up to me and says, I need some dad time. I need to ask you something. So I said, okay, let's go to Starbucks because that's the best place to minister in the world is Starbucks. <laughs> and um, he said, you know, my dad was a pretender. And he said, so often I feel like I'm a pretender. I feel like the person everybody thinks I am is not who I really am. And he says, I think it's because my dad is a pretender. I feel like I have that curse on me of being a pretender. And so we walk through, does, do you think God sees you as a pretender? Because that's the important question. It's not whether people do. How does God see you? And if God doesn't see you as the pretender, then who's lying to you? Who's the one saying you're the pretender? And so we spent about an hour walking through that. Uh, all that to say, um, not only was the Lord speaking to them, the Lord was speaking to me and saying, you got to talk to people about me as daddy. People have to come to that understanding. So the young man who was there on Monday, I, I just felt like I was supposed to put this teaching together for him because he says, I'm just going to go through the Bible and look at verses that have to do with God as father and begin memorizing those verses. So I sent him, I sent him the notes, and uh, he, he sent me back an email on Friday. He says, That's an, um, this is an amazing four-part series on the Father's heart. And I said, four-part series? This is my Sunday morning sermon. So, <laughs> so uh, because of the time, we're not going to go through all the pages today in the notes. So there are multiple points here. Um, but I'm just going to talk about seeing God as Father because I do want to take time to pray for the Chapmans. And I know people have places to go. And so I want to dive right in because... Jesus had the same issue with the disciples. And that you understand all those disciples are Jews, and Jews have a very distinct image of who God is. 
if, if you look at Jewish history, you read the Old Testament, you read the relationships of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, um, Joshua, David, you, you, you read about the relationship, it's, it's very God-centric. And so Jesus is with his disciples in John 14, he makes this, this statement to them. He says, if you have known me, you would have known my father also. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So it's the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And so he wants to make sure the one thing he leaves with his disciples is an understanding of who God is as their father. He didn't say if you've known, you know, if, if you had known me, you would have known God. If you had known me, you would have known my father. And so the disciples thought they knew Jesus and as Jesus, and that was good enough. I know Jesus as Jesus. He's, he's our leader for three years. We've been following him around. And Jesus says, no, the whole time you've been following me, I've had one purpose, and that was to reveal the Father to you. These last three years, I wanted you to understand the personality of the Father. So nothing ignites and empowers our hearts more than when the Holy Spirit reveals God as Father to us. Because there is a big difference in the dynamic of seeing God as this transcendent, powerful being that sits on a throne, as opposed to an intimate one who holds us, who's with us, who's passionate and compassionate with us. And so Jesus went on and he said in John 14, B, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And so again, in the context of Jewish teaching, to say if you've seen me, you've seen the Father is stunning because the God of Genesis 1 is an all-powerful, transcendent God. And transcendence means that he has power so utterly beyond anything we could imagine. And that's how Israel always saw God, powerful, beyond anything they could imagine. And so he, he was wholly other than. He's, he's in a realm of his own. There's nothing we have that we can compare God to. And yet Jesus is saying, well, actually, that's not true. Because if you've seen me, you've seen God. If, if you've known me, you've known the Father. And so this whole Jewish mindset had to, had to be, be, be changed because he was saying, yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is transcendent. But let me tell you, he's a lot different from that. He is, he's an intimate, loving father. As I talked to these three young men, um, one of my questions was, with your daddy issues, with, and, 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 and those are their statements, not mine, do you feel like that affects your relationship with God as father? And all three of them, without a second thought, said yes. Because all three of them filter their image of a father through their earthly father. And when they look at their heavenly father, they're looking at them through the experience, good or bad, they've had with their earthly dad. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to know that God has affections like a father. There are many people who think God is emotionless, God is affectionless, and that's not true. God has feeling, God has emotion, God has passion, God has purpose, God has love. God has all of those things, and it's all directed toward us. And so, 
So if we know the Father's name, then we know the Father's love. That's what Jesus tells us. In John 17, now this, this is famously known as the prayer that's never been answered. It's Jesus' prayer um, when he prays for unity in the church. He prays that, that, that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one. But in that prayer, and as he's praying to the Father, he also says this. He says, Father, I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So it's the night before he's going to die. And he's telling his father, these guys, these 12 guys, there's only 11 right now, who have followed me around, I have declared to them your name. And, and throughout Jesus' ministry in Scripture, there are about 300 names for God. And in, throughout Jesus' ministry, he uses many of those different names for God. But the one that was central to him, the one that he was telling the Father, I've made certain that these men understood was God as Father. He, he emphasized the revelation of the Father like no one else has in history. He wants us to know that his heart is toward us, his eyes are on us. And so the whole time Jesus is ministering to the disciples, he says, my, my primary purpose was for them to understand God as Father. And Paul got it. And when Paul, he writes to the Romans and he also writes to the Ephesians, um, he talks about our relationship with God as Father through the spirit of a received, which listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You have received, which is past tense, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Jesus revealed the Father to the church, and now the Holy Spirit, now that Jesus is gone, he says the spirit of adoption, that's just another name for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit is revealing to you and I every day the spirit of adoption that we have received the revelation, not just God is Father, but he uses the word Abba. And it, Abba is, is Hebrew for, for, for the simplest term for daddy. It's Papa or it's daddy. So Paul is saying the Holy Spirit has revealed and is revealing to us God as Papa, God as Daddy. The Holy Spirit cries through us, Abba, Father. And so the, the term for adoption means sonship or literally placed as a son or positioned as a son, and it's about having complete legal a placement and a position of privilege of sonship, even though by blood you're not a son. I'm, I'm going to embarrass my brother right now. I have a brother in this room who's an adopted brother. My parents adopted him when I was already married and had kids. Two of my children are older than their uncle, which is tough at times. Both of my parents have passed away. My dad passed away three years ago, and my mom passed away three weeks ago. As we've gone through the process of dealing with that loss, Luke, my adopted brother, has walked through this as if these were his blood parents. We've walked him through it as if he's our blood brother. The inheritance that my parents left, 
um, is part of his inheritance because he has the full privilege of sonship by adoption. It's the same thing with us in Christ Jesus. By the spirit of adoption, you and I have the same intimate position and, and relationship with God as Jesus does. When it says that by the spirit of adoption, we are able to say, Abba, Father, we are able to say, Daddy, God, and the privileges of fortune, we have been given the rights and the privileges of full sonship. I remember when I was in high school, um, I think it was in college, I was at a camp and I heard this speaker and, and um, he had two sons. Uh, one was a birth son, one was adopted son. And the two sons were a week apart in age. And they raised them together. And um, when they got to be about 10 or 11 years old, they started talking about adoption. And they started talking to the kids about um, one of them was adopted. And so as the father explained the whole issue of adoption, the two boys became curious. Which one of us is adopted and which one of us is birthed? And so they came to their dad and they said, okay, we want to know which one of us is adopted. He said, I forget. That's what the spirit of adoption does. The spirit of adoption gives you the privilege of full sonship, full daughtership. God doesn't say, yes, Jesus is my son, but Rick, you're adopted. If, if we can grab onto this picture that when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, which he said when Jesus came to be baptized out of the wilderness, God is saying the same thing about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And we need to understand when he says well pleased, what he's saying is these are the ones in whom I find pleasure. It's not pleased in that, you know, I'm happy you're alive or I'm happy you exist. It's no, you are my pleasure. You are my delight. When you think of the things in your life that bring you pleasure or delight, Think of, that's how God thinks about you. Think about how you speak to God or how God speaks to you. You know, I don't think any of us are prepared for parenthood when we have our first kid. By the time we have our third one, we've got it down. We just let them do whatever they want, and then we just kind of, you know, figure it out as it goes. When my wife and I got married, our plans were I was going to go back to school and she was going to work. And um, which was going to be great. Um, nine months and ten days after we got married, we had our first. I remember if we had many, our plans didn't work. All of a sudden, we didn't even. I, I don't remember if we had many conversations about children before we got married. Yeah, we wanted them, but we had plans. We had things we were going to do before we ever had kids. Well, having a kid changed everything. You know, and I'm, I'm a 23-year-old nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm a dad, you know, and how do, how do you deal with that? And, and how do you go with that? And then, you know, you watch your kids grow up, and then you're just going, did, did I do an okay job? Are they going to turn out okay? Um, and, and when we look at all three of our kids, you know, there were times, I have to tell you, our first daughter, I call her Mary Poppins. 
um, practically perfect in every way. Um, she just, I mean, she gave us, she always got A's. She didn't get a B till she was in college. So we didn't have to worry about that. She only had one boyfriend. Ninth grade, picks the guy she's gonna marry. They get married halfway through college. They have five kids, she homeschools, he's a pastor. My other two kids made up for it. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, all of our kids are in ministry now, and I think that's in spite of us. You know, when it, raising kids in a pastor's home, if you've grown up in a pastor's home, is not a fun place to grow up a lot of times. Um, but all of our kids are in ministry, all of our kids love Jesus. And, and most importantly, I believe all of our kids have a proper perspective of God as Father. And it's not because I was a perfect dad. I was far from perfect. And you can ask them, and they will tell you I was far from perfect. Um, but the reality is I gave them enough of the Heavenly Father that as they've grown up and as they've walked in their lives, as they've been married, as they've had their kids, as they've given us 13 grandkids, um, they love Jesus and they see God as Father. They understand the spirit of adoption. And so, you know, in the first century for Jesus, for, for Paul to say this, it was very common for Jews to know what that means. It was very shocking. You know, by the spirit of adoption, we call out daddy to God. Um, you know, it would seem very irreverent to those who hadn't encountered God through Jesus. If they only saw God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if they only saw God as the God of the Sinai, the God of the Old Testament, as many Jews still do, the whole understanding of intimacy with God as Father, God as Papa, God as Daddy, was hard for them to hold on to. Um, when Jesus is in the garden, Mark tells us the story a little differently. He says, he went a little further, fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. So this is a son talking to his dad. And why does Jesus not, why is Jesus hesitant to go to the cross? I, I just want to make it clear, it's not because he didn't want to die. It's not because he didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to be separated from daddy. He knew to go to the cross, there would come a moment when your sin and my sin would be put upon him. And because God cannot have fellowship with or look upon sin, Jesus knew there would come a defining moment that this father who he has been a part of and with for eternity, there will come a moment soon when that, that, that relationship will change. Because God for a moment will have to turn his back on his son because of your sin and my sin. And so when Jesus says, if there's any way this cup can be taken away from me, he's not talking about nails to his hands or spear in his side or 39 lashes on his back or a crown of thorns. He's not talking about suffocating to death. He's talking about that moment of separation of intimacy from the Father. And, and, and in that moment, he says, he's in the garden. Mark writes that Jesus says, Abba. He doesn't say Father. He doesn't say God. He says Daddy. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless. Not what I want, but your will. Jesus was having an intimate conversation with the Father, Daddy, 
an intimate conversation about his purpose and destiny, and he was willing to submit to the will of Daddy because of the love for each other. In fact, if you look at the seven last words of Jesus on the cross, you know, he doesn't see what just before he dies, he says a very interesting statement. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not Abba Daddy. At that moment, he's understanding that God as God, the, the transcendent, powerful, omniscient one, God was judged as God, have anything to do with sin. At that moment, God was judging sin, and God was operating as God. He wasn't operating as a father. He was operating as God, maintaining his justice. After he says that, just before he says it is finished, Jesus then says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he understood the difference between God the judge, God the justice maker, and God the Father. He shows us both sides of that while on the cross. The reality of our lives, the, the, the way that we walk in intimacy, is for us to allow our hearts to get beyond the, 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 the powerful greatness of God and understand the tender, intimate, compassionate side of God. And the Holy Spirit inspires us to do that, inspires us to say, Daddy, inspires us to say this revelation. You know, when, it, here's the one thing. When you say God, when you're saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is such a distant declaration. It's I'm here and God is way up there. When you say Abba, it's like now God's in the chair and you're on his lap. There's a difference in that conversation. And too many times when we go to God, we see him way up there and us way down here, and we kind of feel like we're not connecting, kind of feel like there's a distance. As I've talked with these three young men, because of the distance in their relationship with their fathers, the first young man came home one day. Father deserted him, his mother, and his two sisters. Walked away, stopped paying the mortgage. They lost the house. The four of them had to live in a car. He said there were weeks when we had no food. We would literally, me and my sisters, would beg for food. And so he still has a relationship with his dad. His dad is still in his life today. But he's understood that for most of his adult spiritual life, he has always been afraid that God above is somehow someday going to desert him like his earthly father did. Like there's going to be, because little kids, when fathers abandon a family, little kids personalize that and they think it's something they did. They try to take the blame. They try to think, could I have done something differently and daddy would have stayed? When it has nothing to do with them. But, they, but because they internalize that, in their relationship with God the Father, this distant thing, they, they feel like there's going to come a time when they are going to so disappoint God, God's going to say, okay, I'm done with you. And so each one of them, as, as I spoke with them, I mean, they know each other, but they, they've never talked to each other about this thing. But they all had the same fear. They all had the same insecurity that somehow, sometimes, somewhere in their life, they were going to do something so disappointing that God the Father was going to abandon them. 
just as it was when they came home and he wasn't there, the, the, the young man that came here on Tuesday, his mom and dad are still married. But they live separate lives. They have separate checking accounts. They have their own bills. The, the mother's a physician. Um, the father uh, runs a sales organization. And, um, and, and one of the reasons I knew there was a father issue is because every time we've talked before, because he, he's, a, he's a missionary and he raises support, it's always, my mom supports me. My mom is giving me money this summer to support me while I raise support for my ministry that will begin in the fall. And so each one of these guys, because their fathers have abandoned them, walk in this fear. And it's not a it's not an out front fear. It's this little gnawing thing in the back of their mind, in the back of their head. Is this the one time that I'm going to fail and God's going to say, okay, that's it, no more. And so when we see God as daddy, that whole thing changes. Um, as parents... We can go down the list. In fact, I can't remember every time my, my kids, you know, disobeyed me. I can remember certain times when it was a little more profound than others. I can remember times when I would, you know, get into it with my kids. Um, you know, one day I came home and there was a sign on my son's door. He says, knock before entering, and if your name is Rick, you cannot come in. Yeah, go away. If your name is Rick, go away. We are, are yeah. yeah, we still have those notes. We just read it this week, in fact. Um, we also, our oldest daughter, the perfect daughter, she decided one day that she was going to write us a declaration of, of into her life and what we have the right to speak into and what we don't have the right to speak into. And so, I mean, we're not perfect, and they're not perfect, but here's the thing. The times when our kids did things that really disappointed us, we never said, that's it. You're not my kid anymore. That's it. I, I don't love you anymore. You're not worth it. I, I give up on you. I want nothing to do with you. Just the opposite happens. We wait. We pursue. We wait for that moment where the intimacy of the relationship and the fellowship can go to the deep place where it was and always is supposed to be. And we still love them. They still love us. They're still our kids. That never changes. But somehow we can't see God that way. Somehow there's a tendency in the human nature to think that if we fail God, he is less loving and less forgiving than an earthly father could ever be when it's just the opposite. These three young men, their fathers have abandoned them. God the Father will never abandon them. But they need to get that in their spirit. They need to understand. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the Father loves you. And then when I say you, put your name there. The Father loves David the way he loves Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Each one of you needs to speak that over your life. God the Father, Daddy God, Abba God, loves you exactly the same amount and the same way that he loves Jesus. There is no difference in God's love for Jesus and God's love for you. There is no difference in God's love for me or anybody else in this room. God loves us all the same, and here's the thing. He loves us as much as is in his capacity to love. 
It is eternal, it is unending, it is immeasurable, and it can never, ever stop. In fact, God's declaration in John 14, it says, this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son. You see, God loved us before we ever loved him. God loved us before we ever knew him through his son. It says, and this is love. He sent his son to die for our sins before we loved him. So God the Father, Daddy, loves us. His infinite love is not like human love. We have a limited capacity to love. You know, I mean, I have 13 grandkids. I love them all. I can't remember any of their birthdays. Only one, because it's the same birthday as my son. But if I had 20 grandkids, I'd go crazy. You know, I mean, it's just, God, I don't have the capacity to remember everything about all of them. God's not that way. God knows every intimate detail about every one of our lives. He knows, he knew every intimate detail about our life before we were conceived. He says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. It says he knit us together, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So not only does God know us, but God created us with purpose. The primary purpose is to glorify him, and in that purpose to, to accomplish what he's put us on this earth to do. And here is the reality. We have this, and this is what I had to say to this young man who's wrestling with being a pretender. Pretenders think that there is a quantified amount of stuff we have to do in order to win God's approval. But you see, God does not measure our love for him by how much we've done. He measures our love for him by how faithful we've been to what he's given us to do. And the reality is, if your life was put on earth to touch one person for Christ, and you've touched that one person, and the rest of your life was just lived to be people's friends and to love people, when you stand before God, he's not going to say, look at what Billy Graham did, and look at what you did. A million to one. Who do you think I love more? He's going to be just like that dad when they said, which one of us is adopted? I forget. When we stand before the Father, you stand next to Billy Graham, we're going to say, okay, Daddy, which one of us led more people to Jesus? He's going to say, I forget. Because he loves us the same. He is our, our, our loving, heavenly Father. And so, you know, why do we want to wait until we're standing face to face with Jesus in a resurrected body before we say, oh, I get it. Why didn't I live more like that before? If I had understood this, I wouldn't have been nearly as attracted to the lust of this age. I wouldn't have nearly attracted to the things of this world. And I have so much more I want to say, but I want to pray for the, for the Chapmans. Huh? To, to be continued? Yeah, four parts. But you do have notes in your hand. The, the rest, it is. It's always your fault, Aileen. Haven't you learned that yet? Um, <laughs> But here's the thing. The rest of the sermon is based on Luke 15. Three parables told by Jesus in a row, different parables. They all have the same issue, the lost, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. They all have the same issue. Because each one begins, I mean, the first one starts, the second one begins and says, or, 
Third one starts, he says, or. So that means all three are related. He's given three examples to teach us the same thing. And the, the prodigal son teaches us so much. So you have homework this week. Go home and study the notes. With that said, we want to pray for William and Eileen. And um, this is the third time they're leaving us in our ministry. Um, and so I can't figure out how this works. Yo-yos, huh? Yo that's it. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm just wondering which move we have going, the sleeping dog, uh, which yo-yo move is going on right now. But um, the thing is, they're obedient to what the Lord tells them to do. And um, it really doesn't matter what we think. Well, I guess it does a little bit. But um, we simply want them to walk in obedience. God wants them to be faithful. Um, we love them. We will miss them. Um, I know their kids will miss them as well. And you have to go to Arizona to see them, which is... Arizona, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's like having to go to Barstow, so you just figure that out. Um, <laughs> um, you've been to Barstow? Okay. You know what I mean. Um, all right, so here's what I want to do. Um, I want William and Eileen to come up, and uh, we're going to pray, but... Um, we need to ask the Lord what he wants us to say over them. So the Lord may give you a prophetic word. If he doesn't, that's good. If he does, that's good. Um, I'm just going to ask that as we pray, um, instead of everybody coming, I'm, I'm going to have, you know, I, I think I want his kids to come lay hands on him while we pray for him. So we're going to need children to come. Everybody else, we have a wandering microphone, so if you're going to pray, I want you to stand so we can give you the microphone so you can hear you all pray. It's just too hard down here when we're all together. So let's have William and Eileen and their children come. And, um, and if you don't know if they're child or not, then we have a different sermon we need to preach. Um, and... Um, Yeah, they can stand. <laughs> and again, I'm just going to ask the rest of you here, ask the Lord if there's something to, definitely ask the Lord to pray over them, but maybe the Lord has a word to give to you through them. And one of the things you have to, to learn if you haven't, when, when you do this type of prayer, is there are moments of silence. Don't get antsy about quietness. Quietness is good. It's not bad. We call it the holy pause, um, so don't. <laughs> you say your daughters are taller than you? I think everybody's taller than you. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to pray first. I'm just going to open with a prayer. Um, three kids, if you want to pray over your parents, please do. Um, but Father, I thank you for William and Eileen. Um, Lord, I thank you that your hand has been on them, that you saw them before um, they ever knew each other. God, that you brought them together. Crazy, radical Jesus freaks. 
living in a commune, raising kids, um, but faithfully following you wherever you send them, uh, being about their father's business. And God, as they uh, go to Prescott, um, it is about father's business. Just as they journeyed from Northern California to Southern California and to Arizona and back and out of Arizona again, um, God, I believe it is a move of faithfulness, and it's not just to move, it's not to retire. Um, God, it is kingdom business. It is a, a reality of being faithful to your call, going where you say go, just waiting to see what you're doing and do what you're doing. So God, I ask that you would bless them, protect them, use them. God, I ask that you would give them boldness, that they would not shrink back, but they would instead stand with the full understanding that they have um, your affirmation, they have your love, um, they have your anointing, they're your son and daughter, and that you are sending them. So God, we thank you for them and ask that you bless as they go. Now, anybody else who has a prayer to pray, uh, please take the mic. Stand up so we can bring you the mic. Father, I want to thank you for William and Eileen. I thank you for having them in this family. I thank you for everything that they did while they were here, Father God. I ask that you protect them as they leave, Father God, as for their being obedient, Father them, Father God. Bless them as for their being obedient, Father God. I surround them with your protection, Father God, for your peace, for your love, your kindness, and I thank you for everything you're going to do where they're going, Father God. Amen. Father, I thank you for the example of faithfulness that the Chapmans are to all of us. Um, how they faithfully and joyfully um, go where you send them and stay where you tell them to stay. Um, even when sometimes it's not what they feel like. And so I just thank you for their obedience in that way. We bless them, Lord. We ask that you would bless them, and we bless them, and they continue to be our family as they go out. We now have eyes and ears in Arizona. And so I just thank you for your church and for the fluid manner in which your body moves. Thank you that we are all um, a part of your moving, living body. And we just love the Chapman so much. So I pray that they would go out in joy. Father, we thank you for these dear friends who have become part of our family, and it's always so hard to say goodbye, Lord, when we know that we're looking forward to separation, and so I pray that you bind up um, the hurts that can come with goodbyes. We pray, Father, for your joy to be a part of this move, and we ask God that it would actually be a celebration of moving into a next phase, a next task.
ask a next assignment. And so we pray your blessing and we send our blessing with our friends as well and ask God that you would show them um, everything that it is that you have for them and everything that it is that you desire to do through them in their new home. And we pray that that home would be blessed, God, that the friends that they're coming to minister to would be blessed to have them. And we pray, God, for every aspect of ministry, everything that the Chapmans have done here as part of our body, to Father, that you use the Chaps that you're going to take into a new place to fill a void. Thank you, Father, that you use the Chapmans like you do. And thank you, God, that they're faithful to your calling in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the Chapmans. I thank you for William and Eileen and um, their their friendship and their hospitality, God. And thank you for uh, bringing them back again and just the uh, time of fellowship we've had. And um, uh, if it's not too much to ask, I ask that you would bring them back once again, God, the third or fourth or fifth time, whatever it is, God. And just pray that you would um, go with them, God, and bless others um, with... Um, with their friendship and, and fellowship um, there in Arizona, God. Thank you. Lord, I think sometimes we overuse the verse that you work all things together for good to them, for them who are called according to your purpose. But God, it is so applicable for today because though we don't understand how this happens so quickly, um, but everything having fallen into place, the way it has just indicates that your hand is in this. And we don't know what all those plans are for them or even for us as a congregation or their kids. But perhaps um, the voids they leave will be filled by people who wouldn't otherwise do those things if they were still here. So we submit to your plan in their life and we just wait expectantly perhaps we're going to get another drummer you're going to raise somebody up who's never drummed before or perhaps lord you're going to send another intercessor and i've such i've had such love and appreciation for eileen and the way that we've been able to pray together on so many occasions and i just pray that you will raise up another woman with a really strong caring heart for prayer and lord i don't know what you're doing in the lives of these kids but i know that your hand is in them and i ask lord that they will have a whole new love and appreciation for their mom and dad as they go because they won't be here every day but i know that you will also meet needs in their lives that you wouldn't have met in the same way as they wait on you and as they um, look for other ways to um, just trust you in their life, I pray that you will show them what your love is for them and how much you care about every little detail of our lives. I pray even for the grandkids, Lord, as they... Um, will miss them because I know how special their 
grandparents are to them. And I pray, Father, that you will just intensify that love and may they learn to also call on you in every situation in their life. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and for what you will continue to do. And we trust you for this. We trust you for the, um, just for the plans that you have for them and for us. And we pray you would bless them. We pray, God, blessings over them as they leave. May they just enrich others' lives the way you have allowed them to enrich ours and raise up ministries there in Arizona as hunger in the hearts of those that they are going to minister to. We know that there are just incredible stories we don't even know yet, but we thank you in advance because we know that you are the great God who loves us, our Father, our Daddy, and we know you see the bigger picture. You stand aside and you look and you see the whole thing from beginning to end. And it is unending because this will stretch on into eternity. We thank you for being so, um, so real in our lives and such a good God. We trust you for your plan. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, just want to lift up this day and thank you for all the words of wisdom and and people sending off our parents to the already discovered land. Um, we just, I just ask that you would um, remind my parents of their first love over there without distraction. And I ask that you would really pursue them, Father God, and and show them new passions they never even knew that were um, that that are in their hearts, and that they would um, dig deeper with you, Father God, and and that maybe they would adopt some new kids over there <laughs> for your glory and to, to um, invest and to care for them like they have their children and their grandchildren, Father God. We just thank you for their spirits of obedience and thank you for the legacy that they're still going to leave with us and um, they're going to continue to do your work, Father God, and we just love them and thank you for their hearts and pursuing after you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. The first, Clay and I were having a conversation over there. This little one here was talking. And I asked him if he had a word for you guys. It's really a confirmation what Joni prayed. And you can ask his mommy because she was there. It's joy. Just the Lord's downloading a lot of joy over you. And when you told me you were going to move, we had a conversation on the phone. And I told you this then. And I'm going to keep reminding you even when you're there because you will be hearing it from me. <laughs> um, you got this word, and it wasn't from me, but I have held on to it for you and prayed it over you because it just really blessed me, but you're an activator. Yeah. And because you two are one, that means that, William, you are an activator as well. So, um, Lord, I ask that these two would just be so um, sensitive as you show them the gifts and the people they are, they're going to be ministering with and, or 
just fellowshipping with, communing with. Lord, I pray, like Rick prayed, that they would not shrink back. They would remember who they are in you and, and these special words that they've been given. So, Father, in your power, your power that is in them so powerfully, I pray that you activate Prescott, Arizona, with the giftings to, to walk boldly and um, share who you are for real to the people in, um, in that state or city. And we just thank you for these, these precious people, Lord. We just love them. And uh, just continue to bless, bless them, Lord. Really quickly, um, let's see. I have a microphone. Uh, um, earlier this week, William is is very faithful to uh, to give me song suggestions for the week, um, and. Uh, he asked for this song, and it's confirming to a few of the things that uh, that we've heard already. So if you guys would just join with me in singing this song over them, and uh, yeah, we know it pretty well. In your presence there is joy, 
Joy forevermore. In your presence there is freedom. In your presence there is fullness. In your presence there is joy. Joy forevermore. You give me joy down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. You give me joy down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Never been so free. Never been so free. Caught in your love for me. Never been more secure. Knowing your heart, Lord. Never been so free. Caught in your love for me. Never been more secure. Knowing your heart, Lord. Never been so free. Caught in your love for me. Never been more secure knowing your heart, Lord. Never been so free, caught in your love for me. Never been more secure knowing your heart, Lord. Cause you give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. One more time. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. So before we go, I just have a question. Is there any grandkid that wants to come pray over your grandma and grandpa? Come on, one of you. Just know we're not leaving until one of you prays for them. So you can decide not to. That's fine. Okay. Some of you have a gracious mother and aunt. We just thank you so much for who my parents are and who they've been for all these years. They, they've always just stayed true to who they are and who you are, Lord. And there's evidence of that in all of us and your grandchildren. We thank you that they're worthy of your blessings and of the calling that you put on their life for whatever it is they have you have for them in Arizona. And um, 
as a family, we, especially myself, I let go of my clenched hands and I open them to see what not only you have for them, but what you have for us here in California. I know that you're doing a work in me and in my family and in, um, in the rest of us, Lord, and maybe we need to just put ourselves fully in your care and not so much in our parents' care anymore, Lord. So I just pray that you would just help us to just fully release them and bless them as they go. Help us to just embrace whatever it is you're calling on them to do and whatever it is you're calling us to do. And we just thank you so much that, um, that, that your eyes are on them. You're watching everything that they're doing, and you see, um, and you're pleased, just as Pastor Rick said, Lord. You are pleased with them. And um, we just pray your continued um, covering over them, Lord, that you would bring a community alongside them to support them and encourage them in all that they're going to be doing. And we just pray for your uh, hand to, to keep them safe, to keep them healthy, um, strong, um, and that uh, the distance would create a new kind of communication with us. Um, We'd have to be more intentional in our words and in our uh, time with each other, Lord. And I just pray that you would just uh, bless everything that you're about to do. Help us to be open and willing and um, obedient to you, Lord, in everything that you ask, even if it scares us. And uh, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to grow because it's a growing experience. And um, we pray that... Uh, the family that's here in California, Lord, would um, be surrounded in um, community and love as well, and that you would provide for that you would just continue, um, that we may feel like we're missing with our parents gone, and uh, that you would just continue to, to work in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, fortunately you can leave now, because... <laughs> all right, thanks you all for coming. Give William and Eileen a hug. We take off.